So we continue our uh, sermon series on the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we, as noted, we read a peculiar passage from Acts 8, verses 9 through 25, about a man named Simon, and he was a magician. He practiced sorcery. But just a little bit of context, uh, just prior to this passage, uh, one of the disciples, his name was Stephen, he was actually stoned to death. And so what was happening, persecution was increasing. However, persecution actually resulted in the growth of the Christian church. Again, persecution was not from God, but God was using this grow, rather this to further his mission and his kingdom on earth. People were receiving the Holy Spirit and turning to the saving power of Jesus Christ. The church was no longer confined to this this town or city of Jerusalem. Rather, the church was spreading out as promised in Acts 1 that it was going to spread out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And this particular story this morning takes place in Samaria. So before we read from uh, Acts 8, let's come to God in prayer. Father, we live in a world where there's pain and suffering and destruction to life is so real. And yet you will use all of this to bring your kingdom on earth. You will use this to bring restoration, to bring your spirit into places that were otherwise not open to him. We thank you for your work, and may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 8, 9 through 25. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. And he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. 
After that, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think the story that I'm about to share with you, I might have shared before with you, but it's relevant to this passage and today's message as well. It was one of my first summers in ministry, and I had the wonderful opportunity uh, to be involved in the church's week-long vacation Bible school program. As part of my involvement, I led the opening and the closing daily activities. The vacation Bible school material recommended that we encourage children to volunteer in many different instances and wherever possible. So that first morning, I asked the children to volunteer with just starting with something rather simple. Volunteers were to assist me with just holding up some posters. That's all they had to do. But there was little interest. Few hands were raised, and and the ones that were raised, they were only just slightly visible, probably hearing their parents' voices in their heads. Make sure that you participate. But before that first day's closing activities... I broke away during the intermission, made a trip out to the dollar store, and bought several inexpensive gifts. Having returned to the church, these gifts were then stuffed into a pillowcase. At the closing activities, I again encouraged volunteers from the children. This time I announced that if a volunteer was chosen, he or she can then pull out a gift from the pillowcase. Wow. The children just kind of jumped up with excitement to be able to receive a gift. And just imagine 130 hands going up, and there were only 60 children. Yeah, you do the math. You'll calculate that some of the leaders also put up their hands. (laughs) Although these gifts may have appeared to be free, the children had to volunteer before receiving the gift. There was a condition to receiving these gifts. And some of you may have heard the Latin phrase. I know I've heard it in movies before. Quid pro quo. Literally meaning what for what. Basically getting something by giving something. Or simply put, there's strings attached. There's conditions We often have conditions in life. I mean, if you do this, then I will give you something in return. We have that with our employment. If you work, then you will get a paycheck in return. Or even at school, if you study hard, then you'll get a good grade. And hopefully even a diploma. Quid pro quo. Conditions. Strings attached as we heard in the children's message. Well, I will clean my room, but then I expect ice cream. And we even create conditions in the church. Unfortunately, this can happen often with with the giving of our financial resources or even serving. If things go our way, then we will give or we will serve. If things do not go our way, then we'll stop giving. Maybe stop serving. You get it. As disciples, we often impose conditions, rightfully and wrongfully. And even in our theology, we sometimes think, well, if if I strive hard enough as Jesus' disciples, then I will be loved or even saved. 
We impose conditions even on our salvation and God's love. Simon the magician, the magician of great power, as noted, assumed there were conditions to receiving God's gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. Simon had been deceiving and corrupting the people of Samaria, and Simon and those who knew him considered him to be this, what what Scripture calls a divine power. He was an ever-powerful magician who amazed the people. The people recognized his power. The people followed him. But this was by no means holy power. And Simon wanted to become even more powerful. And he saw Peter and John laying on their hands on people. And and he saw the transformation that this had on the people. And so Simon offered the purchase from Peter and John, the magic that he thought the Holy Spirit could offer him and others. Simon offered to pay them a sum of money. And in return, he would acquire the ability to provide others with the power of the Holy Spirit. Quid pro quo. If I give you money then you can give me the power of laying on of hands. Simon was a capitalist. I mean, understand the times, of course. This was the time of the early church. It was a time of Pentecost. And and like children probably at vacation Bible school, the Samaritans were waving their hands in the air with excitement, eagerly waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit with no conditions. And Simon saw a demand... And he wanted to supply this gift for a fee, of course. And he probably saw a good return on his investment. Well, then we read in verse 13 that Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, this may sound somewhat confusing. And many theologians will interpret this, that Simon did not believe in the gospel, nor in Jesus. Rather, he put his belief in capitalism or maybe on the disciples themselves, or even on the act of laying on of hands, or even on himself, it didn't appear that Simon was a follower of Jesus. Simon loved fame and the signs and the glory for himself. Simon was not serving the Lord, nor giving the glory to God. Now, we read that Simon was baptized. Well, This, again, indicates that baptism is not a condition to salvation. Baptism is a response. It is a response to being saved. And in this case, with Simon, it wasn't an obedient response. It was probably, again, a condition for him. If I get baptized, then maybe they'll sell me this power that they have. When Simon attempted to purchase his gift, Peter quickly retorted, Your heart is not right before God, and may your money perish with you. Now, these are pretty strong words from Peter. Peter is enforcing the idea, the the, the truth rather, that there is nothing that Simon can give for what God has to offer. Your money is useless. You can't buy grace. You cannot buy the Holy Spirit. And even in the end of our story, when Peter says those harsh words, Simon still thinks that grace and salvation are conditional. When Simon says, okay, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said will happen to me. Do you hear him saying that condition again? If you pray for me, then I will be saved. Simon doesn't get it. 
Now, first of all, Simon could have prayed this himself, as Peter indicated, pray for yourself. Second of all, Simon made prayer conditional to being saved. Pray so I won't be harmed. There's no conditions to salvation. Prayer, too, is a response. It's not a condition to salvation. So just like all the believers, Simon needs to receive the Holy Spirit of Jesus in order to point Simon into a right relationship with Jesus, who is the only one that can save. And again, this passage, it doesn't at all indicate that Simon received the Spirit and that Simon responded in praise and faithful obedience. But we also know That God's grace is such that even Simon can receive forgiveness if he is convicted of his sin. But Simon didn't want the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. He was up to his old magic tricks. He wanted the gift for the glory of man. He wanted this power for the glory of Simon. Simon the great power. He wanted his own personal franchise and was willing to pay a sum of money for this ability. He tried to purchase something that was not at all for sale. People of God, the Holy Spirit is not for sale. His power is not for sale. The Holy Spirit is a free gift of grace. There's no conditions. There's no quid pro quo. There's no strings attached. So then if there's nothing that we can do, what does it mean for us to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, firstly, as with several actions and events and promises in Scripture, you've heard me say this before and I'll say it again, God initiates, we respond God initiates his people receiving the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. God initiates his his people in Samaria receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a free gift that God provides to his believers. It is a free gift that we, his believers, receive. Receiving the Holy Spirit is nothing that we've done. And it's everything what God has done. And once we receive the Holy Spirit, again, the Holy Spirit is from God, we then respond. We respond out of praise and faithful obedience. So in this passage, baptism and laying on hands, they're important ministry actions, and in our churches as well. And in this passage, they symbolize the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The laying on of hands, or even baptism, does not automatically provide the Holy Spirit, as we noted that Simon was baptized as well. Simon does not realize that it wasn't the laying on of hands, or even baptism, that gave this, the, the, the people the Spirit of the Lord. It wasn't the fact that Peter and John placed their hands on the people. There was nothing magical with their hands or even baptismal water. These were outward signs of God's gracious gifts and his promises. Baptism and laying on of hands were not conditions for people receiving the Holy Spirit. 
The laying on of hands is a symbolic action of the Holy Spirit empowering people for ministry. And in this story, yes, it it did represent the Holy Spirit being received by the people and empowering the people for ministry. Baptism too. Baptism is a sacrament that reminds us of God's initiating grace. And it is an expression of, of faith in God's amazing grace. And this faith can be expressed as adults believing and being baptized or as believing parents responding with bringing their infant forward for baptism. Baptism is about experiencing God's grace. It is only about God's amazing grace and pointing his people to Jesus. And yes, it does involve responding in faithful obedience. But the point is receiving the Holy Spirit is God's act of grace. It's from God. And following that is our response to the work of the Holy Spirit already in our life. When we have received the Holy Spirit, Scripture provides us evidence that that a person will bring praise to the Lord. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we will respond as faithful and obedient to the will of God. Having received the Holy Spirit, we'll be obedient to our calling to serve in the church and to serve in the kingdom. And it is being obedient to using our God-given spiritual gifts and God-given resources for his glory. It's not quid pro quo. It's not if you praise God and if you have faithful obedience, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. No, it is when you receive the Holy Spirit on account of that amazing and gracious act of God you will have the opportunity to respond. There's no conditions. There's only God initiating and we responding. In the Ascension story in Acts 1 verse 8, we read the promise from Jesus that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, his people will receive power. And as a response, the disciples are faithfully obedient and desire to praise God. And the people are called upon to be witnesses. Receiving the Holy Spirit is God's act of grace. In our response, in using the spiritual gifts that God has given to us in order to proclaim his message in ways that are contextual to to our circumstances or to our geographic location and even to our spiritual gifts. Because not everybody has all the gifts, but together God will use his people, his church. As with the early Christians, we're called to repent, believe, and be baptized. But again, these things are not conditions. Rather, these are a response to the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not a precursor because there were no conditions to receiving the Spirit. People of God, we need to willingly open ourselves and freely open ourselves to the Lord. To be vulnerable to the work of the Holy Spirit. To be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we can't put conditions on these free gifts. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, where Paul states, Do not quench the Spirit. 
God has poured out his spirit upon his people. And his people have the ability to respond in obedience or disobedience. You have received the Holy Spirit of Jesus. How are you going to respond? How will you praise the Lord? And how will you faithfully obey his will in your life? And in the life of the church? Faith, forgiveness through Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all God's free gifts. We cannot purchase these things from God. They are free from the goodness of God. And then what comes forth from receiving these gifts? Our fruits, our actions, our financial giving, our serving, the wonderful privilege of of serving in the church. They're not conditions to receiving God's awesome gifts. Rather, these are fruits of God's awesome gifts. You see, God offers his gifts not to us as a contract because contracts have conditions. If, then. Rather, God offers his gifts to his people as a covenant. And God says to his people through all time, I am your God and you are my people. Here is my son. Here is my Holy Spirit. There's no strings attached. And then God even provides us further direction on how we can respond. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What better ways to respond than love? Next week, we celebrate. We celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And through that, we will again be reminded of God's grace, his amazing grace. We sang that song. And we'll be reminded of his promises through the sacrament of grace given to us by God. God promises his free gift of forgiveness and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. God promises his free gift of the Holy Spirit. And just as we receive the Holy Spirit, no strings attached, we too receive the bread and the cup. No strings attached. It is a free gift of God's amazing grace. And God invites each of us to the table. Believers who are young, believers who are old, to receive his gracious gift and to celebrate the promises of our awesome God. So let's look forward to celebrating this gift next week as one body. And sharing with our families and friends what Christ has done. What he's done for us. And how we can respond in faith. And faithful obedience and praise. God liberally distributes all these gifts to all believers in the church. So we can be empowered and equipped to tell others of these free gifts. When we receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, this directs our eyes, our hearts, to see and believe the free gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The Holy Spirit draws our attention to Christ so that we more and more can see Jesus. And people of God, may we see Jesus each and every day. Quid pro quo? None. Strings attached? Not. 
There's nothing that we can offer God for the power of the Holy Spirit and for our salvation through Christ. It is all on account what God has to offer us. A free gift. Receive this gift and offer praise and glory to God in gratitude and thankfulness. Getting back to the story that I shared earlier. That final day of vacation Bible school week arrived. And at the closing activities on that last day, I still had enough gifts left over to distribute to each of the children. But this day, the children didn't need to volunteer to receive a gift. The gifts were free. There were no conditions. There were no strings attached. All the kids had to do was to receive this free gift. This is the same with God's free gifts and the giving of his Holy Spirit. People of God receive God's grace and respond in praise and faithful obedience. And together we say, Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that so powerfully came upon your people, upon your church. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that you give to each of us. And may we receive these gifts, not for our own use, but for the benefit of your church and for the glory of your name. And may your Spirit work in us so others may see the risen Savior at work in our lives and in this world. May Jesus Christ be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And it's only in his name we pray. Amen.